Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 119 of the Quickie Podcast. Damn, I am glad you're here today. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and I got a local guy on today. I'm in Vancouver, BC, and this gent is uh, one of the talented designers in our little town of Vancouver here. But before I introduce him, We talk a lot about print in this episode, print and packaging. And if you've listened to any other episodes before, you know that print is super important to me and I am stoked and excited every time I hear about it. So for all you designers out there looking to get into the print game or maybe are already involved in print, I put together a free little guide as a nice reminder to Uh, Double check your files for certain things before sending to a printer. Even experienced designers forget to double check these things. And they're really easy to check, guys. They are, I promise. If you miss them, the file goes to the printer. Prepress is like, what the heck is this? Send it back. You're killing time. You're killing money. Missing deadlines, maybe. And that is not fun especially explaining that to the customer, right? So if you want that free guide of things to check your file for before sending to print, head over to thequickiepodcast.com and get it for free there. So my guest today is Matthew Clark. He's the founder and creative director of Subplot, a wonderful studio in Vancouver, BC here. When he was younger, he was always described as artsy, as an artsy kid, But that was not his original career choice. There was one summer, the summer of graduation, he tells us, where his career counselor that he had never spoken to before in school asked him one question that completely changed his career direction and caused him to have another look at everything. He tells us that story. He talks about the really unique skill set that he developed in his direction or his journey to design and uh, how he ended up landing a job at what is now DDB with that funky, unique skill set to get started. He tells us about a project that he got to experiment with print and doing some really unique things. We talk about stamp design, which Subplot does quite a bit of and some really beautiful work there. We talk about a story where, uh, I guess I'll just sum it up this way. Design can't save everything. A beautiful line. I'll let him tell the story behind that. We talk about the struggle that he faces almost daily of remaining in that creative director role and not getting the mouse and getting into the files and just doing it himself. You know, for a lot of graphic designers, that's a tough move from graphic designer to creative director. And full disclosure here, as you can probably tell by the length of the episode, me and Matt got talking. We went way over the 30 minutes of the Quickie Podcast, but there are so many gems of knowledge, so much great stories that are shared here. I'm keeping it all in. This one's a long one. You've been warned. Okay, I've spoiled enough of this. I've talked too much. I'm sorry. Let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, my awesome guest, super easy to talk to guest, Matthew Clark. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field. 
and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a quickie? Good morning, Matthew. How are you today? I'm really well. How are you doing? Doing great. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast this morning. You bet. Um, so are you ready for a quickie? Uh, yes, I am. Absolutely. The, best, the best kinds of anything. Really. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, I always have to start with the hard questions. So briefly tell the listeners about yourself. Sure. Um, I'm a creative director and designer. Um, I specialize in a lot of uh, consumer packaged goods. So that means I do a lot of print and packaging. I uh, spend a lot of time in kind of that retail space. Um, and I'm co-founder of Subplot in Vancouver. Fantastic. Well done. It's like you've rehearsed that before. Yeah. <laughs> I've almost said it twice. <laughs> yeah. Your speaking pitch, right? That's right. Perfect. Um, so Subplot, give me the history on that. Are we? Where are we at? 10 years, 20 years? Uh, yeah, we're uh, kind of shockingly at 15 um, nice. just this year, which is fantastic. Yeah, um, we started up in uh, at the end of 03 into 04, mm -hmm. and uh, it really wasn't because we were itching to uh, launch a firm. Uh, it was really kind of, you know, we had a, hit a ceiling and, and hit hit kind of a difference of how we felt we could work. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, had that inspired arrogance to say, oh, <laughs> I think we could do it, right? Inspired arrogance. Uh, I don't know how, I don't know how, but we're going to try this thing. And um, yeah, it, it's, uh, so it's been 15 years. And, and then this uh, last month or so, we just moved into a brand new studio. So it's, uh, it's a very cool combo of having kind of a landmark date, new studio kind of feels fresh. So it's nice. Very cool. Yeah. Definitely reinvigorating kind of like turns the page, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. And so 15 years ago, what were you doing before you ran at subplot with inspired arrogance? As you said, <laughs> <laughs> I had, um, so bit of a weird path to design. I had no intentions of, uh, being a designer, uh, I didn't know what design was. Uh, honestly, I'm just I'm just that little bit old enough that you know there weren't shows on TV about house makeovers and home makeovers and design this and design that. Mm -hmm. Like you know, um, I had no idea someone did those things. Um, so I was arty. I was very creative. I did lots of fine arts and painting and drawing and acting and all kind of stuff. But you know that that's that's fun. That's hobby. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I'm going to a private school at the end of my high school career. So it's all about, yeah, got to get into medicine, you know, be really serious <laughs> and all that. And, uh, and then I got tripped up. Uh, my, my career counselor said to me, um, so what are you going to be, Matt? You know, the last day of school, what are you going to be? I'm like, uh, I'm going to be a doctor. He said, doctor, but you're so creative. I'm like, yeah, you can't make a living being creative. <laughs> and he said, are you sure? And that, are you sure, like completely haunted me for the summer. And uh, I ended up meeting a lot of people. I met my uh, grandfather's best friend, Bob Buckham, who was a, a great uh, art director in the 50s in Montreal. Okay. Uh, and so he was this old guy that now is, you know, painting and drawing in his retirement. But he introduced me to what advertising was and design and the graphic arts. And I really hadn't considered rights. People make that stuff. So I wasn't someone who knew about it, was passionate about it, looked around for it. I, I, I had no idea. And it was then kind of starting to explore it, look into it, work at a print shop, you know, kind of volunteer here. And I kind of 
lurched my way in. So by, mm-hmm. by the time I finished uh, university, I'd only done a, I did a bachelor of fine arts degree. Mm-hmm. So lots of theory and lots of fine arts, but I did zero training. So then really, you know, I just kind of went around with this crazy portfolio full of like etchings and paintings <laughs> and tried to get a graphics job and someone let me have it. Uh, my first job was at, uh, what is now DDB mm-hmm. Canada. Yep. Um, and, uh, yeah, I started low and ended up sort of at the creative director, associate creative director level there. Um, and really learned everything design on that job. Mm-hmm. That was, that was, that trained. It was really, really interesting. How long were you there for? I was there for 10 years. 10 years. Okay. Put you, put so, yeah, in. I sort of, yeah, I freelanced a little bit during university as I was figuring this whole thing out. So I was doing anything in the graphic world, right? Uh-huh. So a lot of t-shirts. That was kind of an easy one for a fine arts guy, you know, print some cool t-shirts. Um, and I was trying, um, uh, I did architectural renderings. I did uh, all sorts of crazy things and, uh-huh. and eventually started to figure out what I was good at and what I was horrible at um, through <laughs> university. So that, so I had a little bit of um, kind of direct, almost direct business experience, right? Mm-hmm. So I had no training, but I had already worked with clients and kind of worked at a printing shop. So it was a very strange skill set to walk into a design firm and say, <laughs> I don't have any of the training you normally look for, but I have these two strange things. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Perfect. Okay, so let me frame this here. So as a child, you were always described as artsy and you enjoyed it, but always thought of it hobby, like that's a hobby stuff. I'm going doctor, I'm going career. Right. And then that moment with your guidance counselor, and that was at the end of high school? That was literally at the graduation ceremony. And, and I'd literally never spoken to the guidance counselor before. It was very funny. Jeez. You know, he, he picked the last day to go like, so what are you, you going to be? Yeah. <laughs> hey, I know you're graduating today, but curveball. I don't think you should do that. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah. And it was a curveball. First thing I said to my mom was, um, you know, I just had this conversation. Isn't that crazy? And she goes, I didn't think you'd make a very good doctor. (laughs) 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 I was like, no, 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 no. Don't take that the wrong way. Uh, I mean, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you're empathetic. I don't know if you're, I don't know if that's your gig, like that kind of taking care of humans. I think you'd love the science. Yeah math and the chemistry of it but i don't know and i think she's totally right um that an internship i think would have killed me um and 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 as i say i just had thought basically either you were the zero zero you know point one percent that makes it as a fine artist yeah or you're the dude in stanley park drawing characters nice like that to me is that that's 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 the road to fine art and then when i found people make business cards and websites and buildings and whatever i'm like oh oh <laughs> it's a little different and again i think maybe that was again you know i had a, a good working class uh, uh parents mm-hmm. both artistic um my mom can really draw very creative my dad's uh, always been in menswear mm-hmm. uh, as a salesperson, but to watch the guy do a fashion sketch or to do calligraphy or something, it's beautiful. So they both had this, but I guess maybe because neither of them kind of used it, that's probably my impression was that it was kind of the thing you did at home. Got you know, it. it. And, and my grandmother painted. I mean, my great-grandmother painted. So there's always that, but it was always, yeah, it was like, it was grandma um, 
grandma hobby kind of level. Like I had, I had my little, my little easel full of watercolors and I could, you know, go with my grandma, we'd paint by the river, that kind of stuff, you know? <laughs> God, um, yes. So yeah, to, to be a, to be a job just made no sense, but, um, for sure. Uh, it makes a little sense now. <laughs> so when you were introduced, I think it was your dad's friend who was a really uh, a creative director out of Montreal that you were saying? It was, my, it was actually my grandfather's friend. Grandfather's friend, okay. Um, was that sort of the first eye-opening moment where you started noticing design or pointed to what it was? It was, um, because I walked in there a guy who knew a lot about fine art, mm-hmm. but I had no idea uh, about commercial art. And I remember even saying, having a couple faux pas in our, in our, in our meeting. And the great thing was, is at the time he was like 80, yeah, good looking fit, 80 year old man, still with like a little pencil mustache nice. from like the forties and fifties, right? Yeah. Like yeah. immaculate does amazing paintings. Um, and we're talking about art and design and I, I use the word like aesthetic, uh, to describe something designer advertising, he just uh-huh. cut me off. Like, no, that's not what this is about. And he really was very clear that about, I guess, the locus of control of of the work we do. You know, uh-huh. um, fine art is usually within to without, and and design very much is taking someone else and bringing them in and solving something, right? And he was like, you know, he he really objected personally to sort of an aesthetics because all his career he's solving ridiculously hard problems, mm-hmm. you know, and, and doing very big accounts. So, yeah. So he literally showed me a bit of advertising, a bit of design, a bit of typography. And then he kind of gave me homework. Mm-hmm. He, um, he said, you know what, you're doing your bachelor of fine arts degree. You're working at a zippy print. Why don't you just like rip ads out of magazines and make them better or, or sketch on top or take your own photos and turn them into ads. Uh-huh. And so he just kind of gave me this little thing and I did it in my free time and, and they're, they're really terrible. Do you they're still really have them? Really terrible. Oh yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. There's like, there, there's uh have you ever seen the movie, um, crazy people with no, Dudley, Dudley Moore. Uh, it's about an insane asylum who, uh, ends up creating like the best, most honest ads. Um, and and they do so well because the ads like have no BS layer. They're totally honest. Mm-hmm. And anyways, I was making really bad puns and and copying the only movie I'd ever seen on advertising <laughs> which was that movie. So it wasn't very successful, but it, it started to let me see it, and I started to notice packaging, and I started to notice buildings, and when a railing feels weird, and you know, so it kind of yeah, it's it's like it it awoke the senses, and now of course you know like any designer, I'm crippled. Mm-hmm. By in my daily life, when you go to order from a menu, and you're like, "God, the kerning is going to kill me if I have to read this menu very long." So, yeah, you just yeah, quickly it, look it, at it. Monster. <laughs> oh, perfect. So, when you met with him and the guidance counselor, was that the same summer? Uh, it was basically guidance counselor hit me, you know, end of June, and yeah. then yeah, I think I started talking to my grandfather, and that's when he said, "Oh, look, my best buddy of." My life is, is mm-hmm. did this for a living. So I think over the summer I met with him. So what I did is I then made a very non-committal first year university plan. <laughs> nice. So I was like, clearly I'm confused, but I have not yet landed. Um, so I took uh, I took studio art so I could take some fine art. I took Arts One, which is a great program at UBC that combines history, English, and philosophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so very, very arts-based. And then I took advanced biology. 
Um, <laughs> sort of so touch on each thing, like a little so bit I of hope for that spread. doctor thing. Yeah, I was like spread, touching each base, right? <laughs> and, uh, by the end of that year, I had met enough people and talked and learned and and all that, and I knew there was something I wanted to pursue. But I was also very convinced, um, probably because not many of my family ever went to university. I was very mm-hmm. convinced I wanted to do a BFA liberal arts degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was great. And I loved it. I loved every bit about it. Um, and then afterwards I thought, you know, I really, the only problem is I really don't want to do anymore. Yeah. I now want to do three or four years of design school. So I just kind of jumped in and, and, and started <laughs> and committed there. Yeah. So I gave a talk, uh, where I showed all my absolute worst design um, it's, it's worth it. It's good. <laughs> Fantastic. That, um, that summer where you spoke to the guidance counselor and then met with your grandfather's friend, please tell me that was the summer of 69. <laughs> it would have been so good. It was the summer of 88. <laughs> the oh. summer of 88. <laughs> the summer of 88. Yeah. Yeah. Full of, full of drama and gnashing of teeth and confusion. Life learning. Very much so. So Matt, I want to ask you then, what do you think has been the most influential design of your life so far? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought about, uh, when I think about that question, I think about stuff I've done and stuff I've been involved with um, that really has been uh, touching. And I guess this is just a perfect timing because it segues into a story about my grandfather. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so my grandfather, when he retired, uh, he got himself really involved with the Vancouver Aquarium. Okay. And he kind of became, he was like this funny, like driven business guy who'd succeeded with a whole bunch of scientists. And he kind of became their guy to get stuff done um, when all the scientists couldn't figure it out. So I I always imagined as a kid that he had a red phone on his desk and like (laughs) the aquarium would call and be like, Jim, there's a fish in Chad. We got to go get it. (laughs) So like, so there was this prehistoric fish that was thought to be dead for millions of years Uh it now hangs in the aquarium uh and my grandfather was sent with scientists to get it back and they couldn't find a legal way to do it so the guy like found a way to smuggle it in luggage and this and that and that was that was his job was traveling around with the aquarium and like being indiana jones and and so i could not have adored the man more right he's just an incredible guy yeah makes this introduction to bob buckham starts my career Years later, we're asked to pitch for a brand new identity for the Vancouver Aquarium. Awesome. So we don't reveal who I am. Mm-hmm. We pitch. We have a great pitch and we get it. And then I'm able to say, hey, by the way, you know, my grandfather, and he's quite the legend over there because he stuck around for quite a while. Yeah. Um, and the very, very, very coolest thing, which I never thought would happen in a million years, is I got to sit toward the end of the project. I got to sit in a boardroom where my grandfather had been brought back because he'd been retired from the board at this point yeah. he was like 88 they brought him back for a special board meeting <laughs> where it was the big reveal of the work we'd done and so i got to be in a board meeting <laughs> with my grandfather that's and awesome creative this kind of weird full circle thing and <laughs> that just yeah I, I i just love everything about it i love the work we did too i think it's really strong mm-hmm. and just to be part of his history was amazing. Now, it would have been awkward if Grandpa spoke up and said, you know, I think this misses the mark. 
I know it would have been beautiful. Thank God <laughs> I was allowed to have a couple lunches with him beforehand. Yes. Yes. So I got to uh, show some concepts, uh, flesh that out a little. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Matt, I want to ask you about some of the designers or brands that you look up to or appreciate. Um, who are they and what do you like about them? Yeah, well, it's funny, you know, because of the because I skipped design school, I have a bit of a weird relationship to um, to kind of historical knowledge in in design. So, I I know it because you can't kind of help not know it a, a little bit, but I never studied it. So it's funny I can't rattle off names and movements at well, but the one that always sticks, and it's a funny one because I don't even know if you've heard of this firm. Um, <laughs> But back when I was at the big agency, right, so mm -hmm. we had a, a department of like 35 people. The company was about 150. Hierarchies, layers, you know, just it's craziness. It's craziness. Mm -hmm. And there was this firm in the States, uh, the principal's named Rick Tharp. Okay. And it was called Tharp Did It. Tharp Did and It. Tharp Did It. <laughs> and he had the most amazing sense of humor in design, which I hadn't really seen yet. And uh, they were tiny. They were just, you know, a handful of people. Mm -hmm. um, but they were getting all the best work. They were getting all the praise. They were getting in all the award books. Um, he had even the single funniest Christmas card I've ever received ever was from him and it's because he took he took everyone's cards that they sent the previous year mm -hmm. stuck a return label on it and sent it back to them as his christmas card for the next year and i just thought that was just the funniest That's thing i'd ever hilarious. seen and so i don't know he was this little guy with a little group and i kept looking at it going like wouldn't that be the way to do it mm -hmm. right not too many people you can say no to jobs if you don't, you don't like them. You don't like the people. You don't like the timing. Yep. You keep it nimble, um, but you're still competing for the real work. You're not just, you know, doing the barbershop around the corner. You're really mm -hmm. working for it. And so I just always, I always was looking at, at his stuff. Um, and, and I think, I think that's generally true when I see small firms, you know, Sagmeister or you see other firms that are really small and you kind of go, wouldn't, isn't that the idea? Just a handful of people doing the work. And that's what we have. Um, and, it, it's uh, it's good. It's better for my brain than the uh, the big agency model. Definitely, because you still are able to sort of keep your fingers in the creative side. You don't have to go full blown oh, yeah. leader, right? I don't have to go full blown. No, not at all. And and that was that was obviously the path in an agency. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, I was not even nearly ready for it. Yeah, Got it. still not really. <laughs> <laughs> not quite there. You just kind of hovering right in the happy zone right hovering, now. Hovering. Yep. True. Perfect. All right, Matt, I want to get into a little bit about print and packaging. Um, you had mentioned mm -hmm. that at Subplot, you guys have utilized packaging and print a lot. Um, can you tell us some of your favorite stories, favorite projects, and why they were so impactful in print? Yeah, I mean, I have a real love for print. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so my, this is the only thing that was vaguely career oriented at, uh, at university, but my major was in printmaking. <laughs> nice. So I was doing the really old fashioned stone litho, metal etching, um, engravings, mono prints, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so my brain is very, uh, print process. 
Yes. Right? Is I really like, well, wait a minute. If I take two transparent colors and I get the third color out of it, you know, it's very efficient. You're often thinking about because you're silk screening these things as spot colors. How do I integrate them? So when I got into packaging and print, of course, I knew the technical side really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really helped when you were trying to push a concept or push um, – you know, a client to, to, or a printer even to go farther. It's mm-hmm. like I, I had, I had dangerous information cause I knew how to do it. Right. <laughs> so we usually push things. Um, so, so yeah, one of the, there's been, there's been a couple, um, uh, print projects that, uh, I've gotten to control all the way through that really mm-hmm. live up to that process. So back in the day I used to do clearly Canadian, uh, beverage packaging. I designed this crazy lava lamp version. It was kind of after their blue phase. I did all this crazy pattern lava lamp stuff. Um, and I got to really experiment with like shrinking sleeves onto bottles, making patterns, um, sending them through heat tunnels and they kind of weld onto the glass and uh, using spot colors, kind of like printmaking, so mm-hmm. I can have multiple, multiple layers, and it's really fascinating. And, and the great thing was about really all our clients, with that one particularly, is they ver- they really valued uh, the, the role of the press check. Yes. Um, so we were always there. Like we were, uh, you know, I would travel on like a Wednesday to Long Island in New York. That's where this printer was. I'd spend three days around the clock press checking. So it would be like. Three in the afternoon, eight at night, one in the af- one in the morning, five in the mornings. Like every four hours, you'd go in and check another color or check another piece. Mm-hmm. Craziness. You do that for three days, and then you get a free pass and go to New York City for two days and have some good food. Perfect. It was a good gig. Yeah. But like really into the craft. Um, and the other people that are really, really into the craft that I think is bringing us a lot of joy with uh, with print is we do a lot of work for Canada Post. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, um, that happened years ago. We kind of tried to seek them out. Um, in the end, they found us. And uh, we do two or three um, Canada Post stamp collections a year. And uh, the print quality is just like for the absolute print nerd. Mm-hmm. You're printing the best presses in the country. The dot, you cannot see under a loop. It's unbelievable. Um, you know, the stamp is 10 colors with a spot varnish embossed on holographic paper. And then you're printing the next piece and the next piece, right? So it's just kind of like, it's, it's, it's doing a fine art poster at it's this tiny ultimate. size. Yeah. So it's really print nerdy mm-hmm. and uh, it's so fun to not only design it, but then they, they take us out on press checks as well. So when you have, when you have, when you get to the end, you're like, you know, maybe we should like tip in a fluorescent color in the background here, or maybe we should make this metallic, or maybe we should make this. They're like, cool. And then you go to a press check where they have laid a bunch of them up yeah. and have done something different each one. So you can see how the effects really work. I mean, it's bananas. That's but so it's, cool. You no, know, they're printing millions of these things mm-hmm. um, as, as currency. Um, and so they take, yeah, they take the production of it really seriously. So it's so interesting you say stamp design too, because that has been not subplot has been mentioned a few times on the podcast about stamp design. Oh, um, a couple episodes, um, one with Matt Warburton, who's over at UBC right now through the GDC. Um, and uh, actually, funnily enough, episode 100 with Aaron Draplin, we got really into stamp design because he had just oh, cool. finished a stamp design. And the way he described it was, Stamp design is like fine art for the person who may not understand, appreciate, or be able to buy 
fine art. It's the mm. accessible fine art because you can create it and everybody can get a stamp. Everybody uses a stamp. Yeah. So being able to create something so beautiful and intricate and unique and special that everybody can see and use and appreciate is something is like the tip of the iceberg for them. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's very democ it's very democratic that way. Mm-hmm. Um uh, what's interesting is is it's it's also got I mean obviously like the the world of philatelics is 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 a crazy one. It's it's fascinating. Um but it's interesting because there's there's this fine art part to it. But then there's like the, these are very odd topics and it's very difficult to make them poetry mm-hmm. to a certain extent. So, you know, it's the 50th anniversary of, you know, X and you're like, well, let's put a big 50 on there. You know, it's, it's not that it's, it's, it's strangely conceptual, strangely poetic. And so it's interesting. Like some of the stamps we've done are kind of out there. Um, they're kind of odd. I mean, you know, I think one, which I'm quite surprised we even did was, you know, you get a commission to do a series of stamps about dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Well, we all know exactly what that's going to look like, right? We're just going to have flesh eating dinosaurs on stamps. They're going to be <laughs> 3d looking and whatever. And we pitched, no, 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 no. What if we had like the dinosaur reflected in the eye of the predator that's going after it? And so each stamp is an eyeball. And then in that eyeball is the animal that's about to be attacked. <laughs> and uh, that's wacky. And, and, they, and they said yes, and collectors loved it because, you know, it's really different. It, yes. th- that's, that, that's the thing I think on top of it all is, is the art you have to give them has to be as unique as humanly possible so that mm-hmm. their collection is fantastic. Um, and then it has to have secrets, you know, like we, we, in the last one I just did, I did Apollo 11's, uh, 50th anniversary. Um, and I used some UV, uh, uh, fluorescing inks that Uh you can only see under black light. And so the stars and the moon like sparkle if you put them under black light. That's another one I did, um, uh, years ago was for international year of the forest. Uh And so it was a forest scene. And I had these little icons for different animals that lived in different areas. But then I also had some invisible ones that when you put under a light, they were the nocturnal animals. Oh, so cool. Clever. Nocturnal animals. So like little clever or, you know, um, we did a set on uh, pet adoption. And, uh, and, and, and so it was an interesting topic. It wasn't just commemorating a topic. It was saying, you know, it was almost an ad. Like, yeah. please adopt pets, you know? Um, so what we did is the sheet that the stamps come on is basically a kennel with cages. Mm-hmm. Each stamp was in a cage. And then as you use the stamp, you're taking them out of the cage. Oh, and, uh, the symbolism uh, there, yeah. Yeah, so we always – so that's kind of our goal with these projects is they're, they're, they're not marketing. Mm-hmm. They're not marketing design and tough brand design. They're these little fine art jobs that then you – push something novel and really get conceptual, then go crazy on the craft. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty good gig. <laughs> so why do you think print is so important? Why are people putting so much focus? Let's, let's talk packaging. Why are people putting so much mm-hmm. focus and importance on that? Yeah, packaging, you know, it's very interesting. Packaging, I think, as traditional communication print has, mm-hmm. you know, died, 
um, to a large, large degree, I think packaging really stepped up. I mean, mm. packaging has really become far more interesting. I don't think any of us saw anything interesting on, in a mainstream grocery store uh, before, and now a lot of it is. Mm. Um, um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 from so many angles, right? From from oversaturation of the market. Um, there just has to be this kind of competition. I think the death of the death of traditional print pushed a lot of print designers to be packaging designers. So mm-hmm. I think maybe the, maybe the whole the whole thing became more important because people were just looking for work. Um, uh, but uh, pa- yeah, packaging is just it's such a difficult um, and important. Um, you know, uh, discipline. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's incredibly complex. There's so many rules and regulations. You don't have any of the freedom you have in sort of magazine publication, any of the other kinds of print, you're mm-hmm. really, really constrained and substrates are crazy. You know, the things you're making things out of are crazy and we're trying to reduce packaging and we're trying to make it, you know, hundred percent compostable, all kind of good stuff. And so it, it's very, very difficult, but it, but it remains because, you know, in a consumer good, differentiation and brand is still is still the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, as soon as we've got the replicators up and running, uh, we're screwed. So packaging <laughs> will definitely be out of a job as soon as we got replicators. And it might even be, I mean, with, you know, you have to ask yourself, right? Like with the amount of stuff that's being sold on third-party sites like Amazon, mm-hmm. um, how much does the packaging matter? At the moment... You know, goods sold on Amazon or wherever are are dual retailed, mm-hmm. right? They're thrown at Amazon, but yeah, they still hang on a hang on a shelf. But what if they don't ever hang on a shelf? See, that's then, where I think almost the the consumer experience when that product is delivered is where packaging is important. So it might be yes, it might be oddly that it, that the if if brand packaging kind of slips away over time mm-hmm. what you might have then is amazon packaging that is delightful mm-hmm. right whereas now it's just a container yeah there there is there the, the thing uh the thing about print is it obviously is is very tangible it connects very directly um it's instant there's no buffering you can rip it i mean there's all sorts of wonderful things about print i think it, i think the way we use print now um is when something is more special, mm-hmm. right? So sure, you know, every sell sheet and and order form and everything for our pet food client, of course that's all digital and PDF and whatever, of course. Mm-hmm. But one big sexy brochure that shows the entire range of all their goods in a presentation format mm-hmm. that you could talk through a meeting in, it has a pocket, it's very beautiful, right? There's still a place for that. Um, See, that's where all you know. We're not. You're not producing a lot of generic catalogs that are multi, you know, a few hundred pages. Look at all of our products. Here's all of the item numbers. Here's yeah. all of the SKU codes. You're getting one or two really bespoke, beautiful yes. brand pieces. It's not yes. a product promotion piece. It's a brand piece, and that's sort of the yeah. way that it's shifted recently. I feel. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, although the, the crazy thing is, is yesterday I walk out in my front porch and there's that crazy restoration hardware catalog sitting there. Yep. I've never ordered a piece of furniture from restoration hardware and yet I get a seven, how many pages? It's like 700 pages. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Um, and Ikea, yeah, it's, Ikea uh, still does it, right? 
And Ikea is the now, and Ikea does it very smartly too. They really, really kind of have some fun with it. Um, yeah, and I mean, there still is direct mail, uh, and I still think absolutely, uh, direct mail still got a really good place in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it has a different way of interacting than, say, direct email. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, for me, what what I love is kind of the microcosm that that spills out of consumer packaged goods. So to me, that the print life that I love is. You're working on the brand, the brand identity mm-hmm. of the company. You then switch into its products and its packaging. Those need point of sale and display units for in retail. Corporate still needs some stuff. I mean, I know stationery has kind of gone the way of the dodo, but there's still some good tangible stuff that I especially think senior executives should be should be mm-hmm. really into. Um, environmental graphics for the office, trade show booths. I mean, we, we've designed this like um, modernist cedar post and beam uh, booth for Pet Curian. That's Beautiful. like, I'd, I'd love to live in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, so the amount of actual tangible print and manufacture that we end up doing is still enormous. You know, mm-hmm. uniforms, um, giveaways. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not as much paper. Yeah, but it's it's uh, I think experience has really taken over, too. So we find ourselves more and more, you know, doing that trade show or maybe consumer show beautiful booth that we've done a custom film for the films running. Mm -hmm. There's some interactive part with the clients, you know, so experiential design has kind of done that. And then the print kind of all layers in definitely experiential design like that. Yeah. Okay, Matt, I'm going to shift gears here and I've got a couple of stinger questions to ask you, but then we'll turn <laughs> right. it around and end in a happy place here. <laughs> um, I want to know what has been the most challenging time in your design career so far? Why was it challenging and how did you get through it? That's interesting. Um, I think I, I heard a phrase once that uh, by the time you come to quit a job, mm-hmm. you should have done it three years earlier. <laughs> and uh, and I and I thought about that when I finally mustered the courage to leave the big agency. Mm-hmm. Um, I had really, really let it get very miserable, mm-hmm. and we had we had an environment which had gone from cooperative to competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, where designers would sneak around the creative director and go find account people to give them jobs directly. Mm-hmm. Hey, don't don't go through the creative director. I want that you know big football job. Okay, and a uh, lot of boys club, a um, lot of dysfunction in the group. And I left it so long that I had come to the conclusion that it was the industry, not mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. Um, and that I, I had to leave. Like this was this was terrible. And it was really, really, really hard. And um, then Roy and I sort of were like, oh, "Do we, do we move out? Do we, do we do something? <laughs> do we do this thing?" And I'm kind of like, "I don't really want to, but I can't think of anything. There's nobody else I want to work with in town at the moment, and I don't know what else to do. So, okay." <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was with that kind of really weird lack of enthusiasm that we did it. We were scared shitless, mm-hmm. and. Um, and it was crazy, and 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 uh, and and then really it was we we both you know I had freelanced a lot of years and did a lot of freelance work. Roy had owned a company of his own in London for a few years, but this was pretty darn new for us at this mm-hmm. point in our life. So we really did start with like having brunch the first day we were 
you know, didn't work for a living and sat there and went, so. The old unemployed well, brunch. Well, what are we doing? <laughs> and uh, we worked out of my place for a few months. Uh, we got a project within four days. It was a huge project that was going to go to the agency and they gave it to us. Um, but they told the agency to shut up and they'd give them another project. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so basically the client bribed our agency not to like sue us. Nice. Which is kind of nice. That was nice. And then we got another job about a month later and, you know, so within two months we had two big identity jobs and, and we were roaring along before we had a studio and it kind of all just, uh, you know, came together. And, and I think what we've, what we've found is, is, uh, is that kind of sweet spot I was talking about with Rick Tharp, right? Is having having a group of four or five people that you can work on big, nice, you know, juicy jobs, mm-hmm. but not, you know, there's not a lot of politics, not a lot of layers, not a lot of drama. Um, yeah. Nice. But uh, that was, that was a tough time kind of, kind of wondering if I should like get out of the industry at all. And, and it really was not recognizing how dysfunctional it was. And I think being, I think being blinded and kind of bribed, if you will, by mm. the Right. So it was miserable, but I was getting the best projects in town. Mm-hmm. I was working on the best projects with the biggest budgets, winning awards. So I was like, yeah, I was like, it's like I graduated from candy to crack. Yeah. And, and I was just being like drawn in by that. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it, it is, unfortunately, that's kind of the agency cliche, right? Is you take you take young people and you beat the creative out of them in about five or 10 years. And, uh, then they hate everything about it and kind of leave and go start painting. Um, (laughs) it is kind of, I've seen it a lot. And, you know, you walk into an agency, there's not usually anyone actually doing creative over 40. Mm -hmm. Um, so it is, it is, you end up, yeah, sometimes. And sometimes, uh, just, it's just, uh, a lot of burnout too. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I find the ones that don't end up in leadership roles because that's not them. Um, they kind of become like the has-beens. Like I, there's a there's a bunch of art directors and writers in my head right now um, who are wonderful, great creatives. They're older than me. They're in their mid fifties, mm-hmm. um, and they barely get work mm-hmm. um, because it's a it is very yeah very young man's game for sure for mm-hmm. sure. Um, but the other thing is, 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 you know, that's part, that's part of the agency kind of, um, you know, just work you like a crazy person, mm-hmm. ply you with booze and pool tables and, uh, it's okay if you burn out. Right. Yeah. Uh, we, we used to be called in on weekends. We used to be called in. Oh my God. Our sister shop in Chicago is pitching Phillips. Um, they think maybe there's an opportunity to evolve the word mark. They're just pitching the ad account, but can, can the design team like redesign the word mark over the weekend and then we'll put them into our layouts and see what they think. And we're like, Oh my God, really crazy. That doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of that kind of stuff. And I'm very, yeah, very happy that at subplot, uh, I mean, Roy and I of course put in extra time here and there to run the business, but mm-hmm. we're nine to five. Yeah, we're nine to five, no weekends. I mean, let's just work hard and have some fun and and uh, not burn people out and not like have drama. It. Yeah, I like <laughs> much nicer. Yeah, I like hearing say that no, journey. Say no, clients, say no to clients who are jerks. Mm-hmm. Say no to people who just are not good people. Which in the early you know? days is a scary prospect, but now, especially that you've been established for so long, it feels good to do that. It feels it feels like it feels good, and it somehow feels like my sacred duty of anybody who can. It's like say no to them, put them out of uh, 
put them out of the cooperation loop here. Mm-hmm. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Um, Matt, I want you now, or sorry, Matthew, I want you now to take us to a specific design or a project that you've been a part of that did not go well or bring mm-hmm. the desired result. I want to know what that was like. How did that feel? Take us to that story. Yeah, it's, there's always those projects. I mean, because I've done so much consumer packaging work, mm-hmm. um, one of the real problems with any CPG project is that, that you're dealing directly with the product that the company makes. And so as you're going down a track of branding and design and marketing, mm-hmm. um, they're still figuring out pipeline issues and do they need that new piece of equipment to do that kind of seal on the side of the gusset and mm-hmm. you know uh, our ingredients all got here but the dry ingredients we can't find they come from China um, so so what happens is it's, it's an incredibly like if you were to somehow Gantt chart out a packaging project for everybody involved it would it would blind you right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so what I find is that there's always something in a project that is quite a surprise Mm -hmm. uh, and and catches you off guard in a bad way. No question. I've done jobs. We've, we've like, we've uh, made the sales roar so fast that then they short ship and within six months they've killed the product because they pissed everyone off. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I've had other ones where, um, uh, uh, you know, you, um, you get away. Yeah, we, we got a huge way through and the client was in charge of trademarking and copywriting and all that. We got a huge way through a project and then found a identical product with practically identical name because uh-huh. the client had done the diligence. Um, to me, the, the one that kind of was like kind of the saddest because it was so great was um, we had these clients. They were the youngest clients we ever had. They walked in the studio. They were 19 and 20. Nice. And they were two sisters. They were Russian. And they wanted to invent a tea company that was unapologetic, mm-hmm. wasn't prissy, wasn't all zen and quiet and chamomile and, you know, at a spa. That was like bold, mm-hmm. full-flavored tea. And they called it fully loaded tea. Um, and uh, we worked with them. And they were whip smart and uh, organized. And they had a great instinct. They were very young. They had a great instinct for kind of the – creation the marketing the pr like within six months they'd gotten their product like an oprah's favorite things and then they got in the gift backs basket to the emmys um they had pictures of every celebrity at these emmy parties holding their tea right wow. it was the coolest thing so but the so and we created some really beautiful design but they weren't able to or maybe even fully invested in selling and so they tried to kind of bring someone in and then maybe work with a distributor or kind of this kind of thing but selling of course is a whole other you know crazy thing so they're able to you know put a bunch in their car drive around town get cafes to stock it that wasn't the issue but actually making it into london drugs and taking those big meetings and all that Mm -hmm. they couldn't do it and and so to watch a really beautiful brand um, that we worked on for several years, kind of building it up, and they had the most creative um, sell sheet packages and gift packages, and we had a multi pack, and so like to see it in magazines and in PR and winning and Oprah, but yet it doesn't sell 
is just heartbreaking. And it, uh. and it just it shows that that part, you know, that's not our control. Mm-hmm. You, 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 uh, you totally do beat yourself up over it because you're like, ah, could have I made it, you know, this, this. But you're like, there's no dude out, actually out there banging on doors selling this thing. Yeah. Uh, and so that's why, you know, we are careful when we take on projects that we, that we talk about some of these issues, um, that we're all in projects with our eyes open, um, that design doesn't save everything, marketing doesn't save everything. Mm-hmm. Um, we certainly have no interest in, um, you know, making silk purses out of sow's ears. Um, <laughs> we don't do that, thing, right? We're not, we're not the kind of guys to make something look like it's not. So, uh, yeah, we, we have a lot of tough conversations up front like that. Oh, so you address it right up front. We do now, especially, you know, we really want to talk about like, how, how is this going to come together and what are, what are your tasks and what if you don't hit your deadlines because mm-hmm. you can't take time away from us, yeah. you know, or whatever other issues. And so you really have to understand uh, all the layers. And it's and the problem I find is that even with the same client, each project may may begin completely differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I've started projects where there literally was not even a product yet. We were just dreaming about like a dog food kibble. What yeah. what would someone want? And other ones where it's literally like we found this great product. Quick package it, right? Mm-hmm. Very very different. Got it. I like that story. You know, the design can't save everything. No, I like that. Oh, if only it could. Yep. Um, so Matthew, what is something you are struggling with in your design career right now? I have always struggled with, um, being a real creative director. It's, it's, uh, I, I tend to be a designer first, mm-hmm. um, and I like it and I control it all and it's all good. I love it. But um, it's limiting. Uh, it's mm-hmm. limiting because I'm only me, right? Um, and but it's just how I think. It's how I work. And and so I tend. To, so I would say, like in 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 subplot right now, I design ninety percent of the time. Creative direct ten percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roy, however, does the complete opposite. He creative directs ninety percent of the time and designs ten. So it kind of works. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but I'm just finding more and more the size of the projects and, and the way they move that I, I do need to be a better creative director. <laughs> so I have these spurts where like I'll try for a while being, you know, it, it's it's not so much the – well, it is the control thing. I was going to say it's not so much the control thing. It's totally the control thing. But it's also um, uh, – it's uh, – it's just kind of not knowing how I guess I guess it's the uncertainty mm-hmm. of working with other people where I don't know what they're going to do, which is exactly the point. Um, <laughs> we don't want uh, carbon copies of ourselves. Mm-hmm. I want to be delighted, but you really are putting a lot of faith in in someone in intervals to kind of like okay, go away, you got a couple weeks, and come back to me with some thoughts, and you know, like it's it's uh, and then your job, of course, is to not turn them into you. Your job mm-hmm. is to bring them along in their practice and, and say, Hey, well, I never thought about that, but how about if we, you know, just kind of go over here. And so it's very much steering and inspiring and, and all that. And, uh, I just, I find it really difficult cause I'm kind of like, okay, okay, okay. Move over. Give me your mouse. Give me your mouse. Yeah. I'm going to work here. Yeah. I got it. Let uh, me do it. Yeah. But I, I, I love the thing is, is some of the best projects that we've done mm-hmm. are ones that I have not been the designer on that we have had much of that collaboration so Beautiful. it's kind of it's like it's like i'm fighting a natural tendency even though i know it's like totally better 
Yeah, that's, that's the, you nailed the words. You're fighting a natural tendency. Yeah. Got yeah. It. But, uh, one day, one day, one day, I'll, I mean, it says creative director beside my title, but I gotta, I gotta earn that one a little more. There you go. Um, <laughs> okay, Matthew, I'm turning this bus around for you. I want to hear now about a project that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of one that just makes your heart sing. Well, I know I definitely feel that way about, um, I really feel that way about the Vancouver Aquarium. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know it's a little repetitive, but uh, it just was something that was so special to be able to connect with my grandfather kind of over the generations and both touch on this institution. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the the uh, th- That one's probably the closest to my heart. Um, one of the ones that just I'm really, really pleased with because it's it's endured. And you know what it's like sometimes. You do a design and then five years later you're like, oh, my God, someone tore my design down. <laughs> yep. Um but uh, the first project that Roy and I worked on uh, at the agency when mm-hmm. we met, the first big project we worked on was a grocery store concept. Uh, Overweighty Foods had come to the agency and said, look, we're going to do more of a fresh kind of food market. It's going to be kind of like Dean and DeLuca mm-hmm. in New York. Um, we're thinking of calling it Pacific Market or Pacifica. Um, you know, what do you think? And so Roy and I got put on it, and we did some audits and some background and this kind of stuff. And I got to see how he worked because he's old, he's a little older than me, and he worked in London a lot. And so he's he's done some big projects. And so yeah, his upfront process was really different, was mm-hmm. really thorough, which I loved. Um, we did naming, and we ended up naming it Urban Fair. Yep. Um, and Urban Fair opened in '99, mm-hmm. and we did everything. We did uh, uh, the logo identity, uh, environmental graphics, all these sayings on banners, all this food photography, um, lots of puns and silliness about food, and and, and it was great. I mean, so it opened uh, summer of '99, and it's 2019, and that thing looks pretty good. It's uh, like 20 years. And I walk in and pretty much everything is on standards, which That's is awesome. quite amazing. We, we did, in fairness, we did hand them probably the biggest, fattest uh, brand standards we've ever done. It was about a 100-page manual. Wow. And every, you know, it, was, it was 99, so it was before cloud computing and good online storage and all that. Yep. So we had to actually like, um, schem- like schematic out pieces right? Like letterheads and forms and this and that schematic, have schematics throughout with measurements and with specs in case Mm -hmm. people had to rebuild. And then there were like DVDs that went with it, right? But not exactly the uh, smoothest way of doing it, but it was very complete. And yeah, when I walk through there now, I'm like, man, they're still getting the type thing right. And the banners they've replaced clearly, but they're on brand. Still on brand. So that's, that's probably the most surprisingly delightful is kind of going, ha, that sucker's still going. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool to hear, especially after so long, right? Exactly. Um, what is one design product, tool, website, or community that you just can't live without? It's uh, the the one tool is this iPad Pro of mine. Nice. I uh, I switched over. So when the first iPad came, I grabbed it immediately mm-hmm. and tried to convert all of my analog tasks uh, over to it. And it was painful and it was slow and the styli were, the styluses were terrible. And so then I became like this weird stylus hoarder 
where I would order like a stylus a week and like try it out in hopes it would work half decently. And they never did. So I could write and do that, but sketching was not good on it. And mm-hmm. I was frustrated. And then iPad Pro came out with that pencil and it was like, oh my gosh, this thing actually writes properly. It's mm-hmm. fluid, it's naturalistic. And so uh, I threw away all my my regular sketchbooks. I do all my sketches on there. Mm-hmm. Um, I do all my daily planning on there. Um, I do a lot of, um, you know, you can do a little bit of like typographic lettering. You can do a little bit of illustration on there. Um, I, 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 yeah, for, for, um, working internally, it's great. So mm-hmm. I can be making notes during a meeting, doing some sketches, and then I can like quickly email those five pages that I just did over to, you know, my, uh, designer and have them work on it. Like I, yeah, I'm attached to the hip with that thing. What an and awesome app workflow. pencil, my Apple pencil stopped working on Thursday. So we have a problem. So <laughs> I have to go get a new Apple Pencil. <laughs> there you go. There <laughs> it's an amazing go. workflow. I love working on it. Um, and they're only making it more and more like a like a um, laptop. So apparently they're adding full, full, full uh, Photoshop to it. Oh, wow. Um, so you to be able to do high-end retouching directly on a pad. See, I've never been a pencil guy mm-hmm. with uh, sort of a stylus with the computer. I find the act of drawing down and looking up weird yeah Uh, but if i could actually do retouching on delicate photos like on the ipad with a pen that's incredible so the what software are you using on that ipad pro yeah funny you should say that it's uh it's a weird mix my number one go-to app in there is a note-taking app called good notes oh okay all GoodNotes is, it's not, not It's not like a big sophisticated thing like Evernote or something. Mm-hmm. It's just like you open a notebook and you draw in your notebook. And you can open up as many notebooks as you want. And then you, you have, can you send can, those files. Yeah, but what, it, what, what I like is that it's very, very simple um, and it actually draws in vector. Oh, cool. Uh, which is interesting. So if you actually want to export that, blow it up 300% because you want to show something – it's vector. This isn't a little pencily looking sketch. It's mm-hmm. like I can even take, I can even send myself a PDF of a page I've done, bring in an illustrator and edit it, wow. um, which is interesting. It's also just very, very quick and very accurate. And mm-hmm. in the same, in, in just that one app, I can, um, I can draw, I can type. I can drop in pictures. So generally, you know, for a lot of workflow, it's like I quickly take a couple pictures of the layouts that I want to give feedback on, you know, or I've been sent to PDF Mm -hmm. and I crack open, get the pen out, circle this, note that, email, you know, send the three pages and and it's done, right? So it's really, really great. The, The only thing that would be even better is if it really did enter the artwork part it's 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 to me it's still a tool for all the pre there's no place for it really in like the real design or production got it but maybe that's okay but oh yeah, yeah it's no. a beautiful my piece. son and, and my son has recently decided that my ipad pro is his excellent um, he's 12 and uh my daughter is 10 they both uh basically i come home and uh one of them will steal it out of my bag immediately It'll probably be my son, and uh, he'll draw for like three or four hours on that. He's doing animations. He's using programs like Procreate. He's using uh, Flip a Clip. 
putting them together with iMovie, putting music on it, and now he's got like dancing meme illustrations and wow. so like I'm using it as a very like productivity planning tool. Mm-hmm. And he's using it for like final art making videos and stuff. So, you know, the thing's amazing. It's got a lot of scope. So that's equally annoying that they take it and amazing what they create with it. <laughs> totally amazing. The annoying part is when uh, every morning it's dead. Yes. Because no plugged it in before they went to bed. That's the annoying part. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew, you've circled around and you've made it to the last question of the Quickie Podcast, which is the ask it forward question. So I have a question for you for my last guest, and you get the opportunity to ask a question of my next guest, but I won't tell you who they are, but you can ask them anything. Awesome. So my last guest was Alicia Cologne. She is a paper illustrator. So she creates you know beautiful imagery and illustrations using different colors of paper, different layers and cutouts, beautiful work. Um, And she wanted to ask you that if it wasn't design, if it wasn't this creative director role, what else would you be doing? Hmm. Maybe I would have hit that medicine anyways. (laughs) There you Uh, go. Yeah. yeah, uh, You know, I, I wonder that a lot uh, as any pushing 50 year old man wonders Uh as you're, Thinking, well, what what happens? You know, you do this forever. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I my so obviously there's a very large fine art side of me mm-hmm. that has had no love and no nurturing for mm-hmm. thirty years. Um, I've done the odd painting here and there, kind of out of necessity or out of like, ah, oh, that wall looks stupid. I'll do a painting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, but uh, yeah, I think. Uh, I would be less afraid now to decide to be an artist, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, I now know many ways an artist could make an excellent living, be quite commercial, uh, and, and, uh, and, and, yeah, really have some sort of stability. I have plenty of friends who are illustrators and artists, and, um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I, uh, so I, I could really see that. And I've always said that I'd love to um, completely go sideways and like be a really dithering professor um, <laughs> with like the cold cup of coffee, a little bit of muttering to myself. Yeah. Um, but I don't want to I don't want to teach design. I want to teach. I'll, I'll have to do some more schooling. But one of my passions in, in uh, late high school and then in university was comparative mythology. Oh, wow. I just loved it. I love reading. Um, I love reading the classics. I love reading books uh, about comparative mythology and, and uh, Joseph Campbell is one of my favorite authors. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so I, I, so I think my fantasy me, it's probably not the realistic me, but the fantasy me is like professor of classics, you know, uh, in my cardigan, talking to myself with the cup of coffee, and I think that'd be wicked—really, really big bushy beard. And oh just, yeah, let it yeah. go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just let it like take all the rational, you know, hardworking marketing thought I've done this long, and just like catapult it. Perfect, <laughs> Matthew. What is your ask it forward question for my next guest? My ask it forward question was the turning point at which um you followed the career you're you're following now what was that moment that made you change made you switch now it might not be as 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 large as mine having sort of me think about entire different career it might be just a a discipline change or it might be someone like you know marion banjis who went from a traditional designer to this typographer 
Mistress mm-hmm. of the Dark. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I really I'm curious for that moment, that spark and that catalyst that uh, made them made them change and take them to where they are now. Got it. So where so almost where were they first, and what was the pivot point to now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Got it. I love it. Cool, right Matthew. On. You've made it to the end. Thank you so much for your time today. I love the stories you shared in our little chat about print and packaging and the importance of that. Um, so thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely. Thanks very much. My honor. Awesome. All right. Don't say I didn't warn you. This one went over time. I told you in the beginning, but I wasn't lying. So much great stories here. So much great knowledge from his years of experience shared. And I just really enjoyed talking with Matthew. So you got to sit in on that chat. Thank you again for listening to the Quickie Podcast. I will be back tomorrow with another fantastic guest for you. Thank you and have a good one.